something bad could happen to you on the highway today, but if you heard that you hit the lottery, all of a sudden you'd be happy because it'd be amazing. Well, you hit the lottery, and your lottery is bigger. Your inheritance is bigger and greater than anything you could ever have on this earth. And so Peter wants these suffering saints to understand this reality and not just understand it, but live in the reality of it. Here's the second, the second point. Uh, focus on, in order to have joy in the midst of suffering, we must focus on our eternity, uh, especially in comparison to our suffering. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. Now, when he says a little while, uh, this is kind of difficult for us because for some of us, we've been in something difficult for six months, a year, three years with the COVID situation, 10 years. The timing may, may not feel short at all. For myself, we started an adoption. I have a, a COVID baby, February 2020. Um, we started adoption February 2020, got this kid five days after he was born, a Korean kid. And uh, his adoption was denied, I think, a year later. We were, we were getting the baby in February. We were planning to move back to the States. Um, adoption was denied. More story to that. We got another child in April 2020. Uh, we had a refugee in our church who wanted to move to Seoul to work so she could move to Morocco. And so we started fostering her child while she moved away. October 2020, she died from COVID. So we had to start trying to adopt this other child while we're trying to adopt another child. Um, praise God, a year later, her adoption went through October 2021. We got a, she's Korean and Saudi Arabian uh, mixed. Um, but our, our boy, he's been denied now twice. We've just started our third adoption. We're, we're, we're wrestling with the rat. We thought we were getting, a, getting our baby boy and then moving to the States. And right now we're, we're, we're at the prospect of having to stay here another 15 years until we can adopt him at 18. And so for us, for many of us, we're in trials that don't seem like a little while. Uh, another 15 years for me is not a little while. It's like my best years, the la what's left of my best years, right? Um, and so for... Peter, when he says a little while, he was telling them, and they had been, this persecution is not going away. They're being persecuted wherever they go. Early Christians were. Um, and so for him, this persecution, when he says a little while, it's in comparison to verses three through five we just read. In comparison to our salvation and the experience of eternity, all of our trials are just a little while. They're only temporary. Paul said the same thing in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In comparison to eternity and the blessings that were coming, for Paul, they were light and momentary. And for Peter, they only lasted a little while. Um, and so it's the same argument they seem to both be trying to make, both Peter and Paul, in comparison to eternity. For many of us, part of the reason that we struggle so much is that our thinking is only about tomorrow. Our thinking is on our next immediate milestone. Uh, for some, that may be graduation or marriage or retirement or the next, our next assignment. Uh, in order for us to have joy that's eternal, that type of mindset is too short-sighted. We must develop an eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. 
When Christ saved us, it wasn't just about heaven and it wasn't just about works on the earth. He saved us for eternity. In fact, our works now are preparing us for eternity. In Luke chapter 19, in the parables of the Mina, the master told the servant who had been faithful with his Mina, who had got 10 Minas, he says, sir, your Mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. How he served on the earth affected his future service, the service that would rest, last for the rest of his life throughout eternity. Our short 60, 70, 80 years are simply preparing us to serve Christ eternally. And so in comparison, Paul saw trials as short and momentary, and Peter saw them as only a little while in comparison with the glories. In the same way, we must develop an eternal mindset, not focusing on what is temporary, but focusing on what is eternal to have a sustainable joy. When we view our trials in comparison to eternity, then they become light and momentary. Therefore, we can have joy. Here's our third secret to having joy in the midst of trials. In order to have joy in the midst of our trials, we must focus on God's sovereignty and purposes in our trial. We must focus on God's sovereignty and purposes in our trial. Verse 6 again. Um, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Uh, you may have had to is translated as if necessary in the ESV or if need be in the KJV. And so what Peter is saying here is that even though it may seem like our trials are haphazard or they may just be simply happening because of the boss that we have or the family member that's very difficult or the trial that's happening in our body, but Peter saw them as under the sovereign control of God and only being allowed if they were necessary for us. He only, like a father allowing his child to go through a trial or some type of discipline, he only allows it if it is necessary for that child's growth, for that child's maturity, or for that child's next step. In the same way, God does that with us. He only allows us to go through it if it is necessary or for our benefit. Hebrews 12, 7, uh, the writer of Hebrews writing to Christians that are suffering, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Now, he used a general term for hardship, referring to any kind of trial, something that Satan may have done or the roommate have done or anything, anything else that had happened. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. He sees God in control of whatever trial may be going on. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation or can be translated trial, same Greek word, no trial that has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. Uh, but with the temptation, uh, he will provide a, 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 God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. He sees God in total control of the trial, holding the temperature gauge on whatever, that, whatever we're going through. And so there is one of the ways that we can have joy in the midst of our trials is realizing they're purposeful. There's intention behind it. They're not accidental. Uh, God is only doing it, allowing it if it's necessary. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at several reasons why they may be necessary for you and why they may be necessary for me. Here's the first one. Some trials are necessary to turn us away from sin. 
some trials are necessary simply for to turn us away from sin. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, you may be aware, obviously, they're, they're, the church there is mistaking the Lord's Supper. The rich would show up to eat. The poor would show up to eat. The poor would be left out. The rich would get drunk during the Lord's Supper. And what God does, he says, some of you are uh, sick. Some of you are weak. Some of you sleep um, because you have mistook the Lord's Supper. So God was disciplining them because of their sin. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, 30-32, he says, But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. And so the discipline for their mistaking of the Lord's Supper was meant to turn them away from mistreating each other, the rich looking down on the poor in the church, getting the drunkenness that was happening, meant to turn them away from these sins. We also see this with David in Psalm 119, 67. He says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. David said, before I went through whatever physical, whatever calamity you allowed to happen in my life, before I went through this, I was living in sin. But now after you have allowed this trial to happen in my life, I now obey your word. Like any good parent, sometimes God will bring discipline or trial in the life of a believer to motivate them to obey. Um, here's a second reason. Trials sometimes are necessary to protect us from sin. There's a difference between this. To protect us from sin. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul, who had a thorn in the flesh, some type of um, commentators don't know exactly what it is. I personally think it was an eye condition that he had. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he says this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, Paul says the reason God allowed it was to keep him from becoming conceited. In fact, in the previous verses, he talked about how he had went to the third heaven and saw things he could not speak about. As you know, Paul wrote almost half the New Testament. Um, because of the revelations that God had given him as, a, as an apostle, he would have been very tempted towards the temptation of pride to boasting and to exalting himself because of the healing ministry that God had given him, given him and the miracles. He'd been very uh, prone to pride. So what God did was he allowed a thorn in the flesh, possibly some type of sickness that he had that would keep him humble in the midst of all these revelations that God was giving him, all these mighty ways that God was using him. It doesn't say that Paul was a prideful man. It says that God was keeping him from a potential struggle that he may have. And so sometimes he allows a trial, or if it's necessary to turn us away from something we're doing. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But sometimes he allows something to keep us from a potential sin that we might struggle with. Maybe that's why God touched Jacob's thigh. After wrestling with God and prevailing, he also would have been prone towards pride. But for the rest of his life, he would have been humbled and limped for the rest of his life. Maybe that's why God allowed Peter to go through such a humbling trial as God's chief apostle, where he denied Christ three times and was tempted because of the great ways that God was going to use Peter. The first part of Acts is about Peter, and then the next part about Acts is about Paul. God was using Peter in such a great way. In the same way, many trials we go through may be a form of God's grace to keep us from specific types of sins. 
Uh, maybe we've seen this in many ways with some of those that God has used in some of the greatest ways throughout history. Charles Spurgeon, I think he's from the 1800s, if I remember correctly. He's called the Prince of Preachers. He had such a struggle with depression, he would not leave his bed for weeks at times. Maybe that was a grace um, that God had allowed him to have to keep him from a struggle with pride. We still use his books today. Here's a third reason that sometimes trials may be necessary for us. Trials are, are necessary at times to help us grow in character. Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. In the midst of going through hardship, we start to learn how to develop peace, regardless of our circumstance. Patience, dealing with wait, being patient with someone who's difficult. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's someone at our job. Endurance, being, on, being able to bear up under a heavy weight. Love, loving someone who may be unlovable. Joy, all these are fruits, a harvest that can be produced in the midst of discipline in the midst of going through something that's difficult. A harvest awaits those who are trained by their pain. If you look at the life of any truly godly man or woman, you'll often see that this godliness has been marked by various trials that they have gone, gone that have happened in their lives. We're trained by persevering through trial and seeking the Lord and his word in the midst of it. However, those who are not trained by their trials often develop strongholds in the midst of them. Hebrews 12, 12 and 13 says this. Therefore, again, in the, in the midst of talking about trials, people who are suffering, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. They're already weak because of what they're going through in their trial, but if they don't strengthen their knees and their arms, they may become lamed. Many people, instead of developing more peace, more love in the midst of their trial, they develop strongholds, a lot of unforgiveness. Some people have a lot of unforgiveness towards the church. Talk to a lot of pastors or people, ex-pastors. Lots of under unforgiveness, a lot of bitterness towards the church or people who hurt them. Some develop addictions. Instead of becoming more addicted to God and worship more time in prayer, more time in God's word, they find themselves addicted to food or to a cigarette or to alcohol or something else because of, instead, of, instead of allowing the child to train them and grow as they sought the Lord, it actually, they found their hope in something else other than God and that became their addiction. And so he tells them what, what's already lame can become disabled if you do not respond well in the trial. Only those who are trained by the trial develop the character God wants while others develop strongholds. Here's a fourth reason that sometimes it's necessary for us to go through trials. Trials may be necessary in order to further equip us for ministry. In order to further equip us for ministry, 2 Corinthians 1, 4 through 6, Paul said this, and talking about God who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance 
of the same sufferings we suffer. Um, Paul said that God comforted him in the midst of a trouble so he could comfort someone, comfort others with any trouble that they may go through. Uh, this is important because um, this means that whatever trial I go through and the way that God comforts me, um, it's not just to help people that go through the same trial. For instance, um, I'll just share a little bit of my testimony. When I was a sophomore in college, going into my sophomore year was when I strongly felt impressed I was called to go into ministry. And uh, at that point in my life, it's kind of like I became more on fire for God. I thought, surely now I'm sold out for God. Everything's going to go better in my life. But it didn't. Uh, I started to struggle with uh, depression. A friend of mine had committed suicide. I tore a piece of my Achilles. I was a basketball player in college. I couldn't play my sophomore year of college. Everything in my life just started going wrong. I really, a lot of times, didn't want to live anymore. Um, but it was during that time that I experienced a great amount of God's comfort. And the way that he comforted me was through his word. I read the Bible completely through two, 10 times within a year, about 15 times in a year and a half. Um, because if I wasn't in the word, if I wasn't at church, if I wasn't at worship or small group, I didn't really want to live. Um, and the way that God comforted me in the midst of that season, and he still comforts me today, depression is still something I struggle with personally, um, is a ministry that God has given me where now I comfort others who are going through similar or very different trials. Many times I point them to God's word or various things that God's taught me in the midst of going through various hardships. And so many times when God is calling to expand our ministry, it's necessary that he puts us again in a trial. John 15 says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. Pruning is a cutting away. You cut away from a branch because it gets all this foliage that blocks away light and it stops bearing fruit, even though it had been fruitful before. And so you cut away so it produces more fruit. So when you're doing well for the Lord, guess what? He cuts in your life again. Many times for those who are faithful to the Lord, he multiplies trials in their lives. It's necessary for them to bear more fruit for the kingdom. Right before Christ starts his ministry, he goes through 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted and tested by the devil. And then it says he left filled with the Spirit, began his preaching ministry and his healing ministry. It all came after trial. With Joseph, he multiplied trials, 13 or 15 years, I forget, imprisonment, first, first as a slave and then as a, as a prisoner. Also, God could begin to use him, the, the, uh, the Egyptian name that he gets actually means savior of the world. It was a worldwide famine that was going on. And he was not just providing for Egypt and infant Israel, if you want to call them that. Nations were coming to him. God used those 13 years of hardship to make him a savior, savior of the world, the Egyptians called him. And so in the same way, when God is called to prepare you, it doesn't mean hey, you're going to go get to go to Guam and go into hot weather. Um, nice weather, many times he puts you in something difficult. It's if it's necessary. And so one of the ways, again, that we have joy in the midst of our trials is by focusing on God's sovereignty and purpose in the trial. They're not ha haphazard. It's not by accident. It's intentional. God is preparing you for more. Here's the next one. One of the ways that we can have joy in the midst of our trial is by focusing on our faith. Focusing on our faith. Verse 7. 
These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Um, Peter says that trials prove the genuineness of one's faith. The word proved here was used of testing a metal to see if it was genuine or not. Um, in this, in verse 7, he compares and contrasts faith with gold. Gold is one of the most precious metal, metals because it's one of the most imperishable. It lasts for a very long time. Many times gold heirlooms are passed from generation to generation. The imperishableness of gold is one of the things that makes it so valuable. If it only lasted a couple of years, it wouldn't be very expensive. The contrast, though, is that true faith is more precious than gold uh, in that it never perishes. In fact, true faith is indestructible. If it's genuine, it will last, as it says in verse 7, until the revelation of Christ, and it will result in praise, glory, and honor from God. Trials to our faith are like a fire to a precious metal. The fire tells if it's genuine. Now, uh, all metals have different melting points. Uh, for instance, if a person was in a cave and a mine and found something that looked like gold, one of the ways they may test it is putting it in a fire. And if it, if it, go, if it, if it, if it lasts to a very high melting point, that would prove the genuineness of it. 24 karat goes to something like, you can be like put in almost like 2,000 Fahrenheit. Um, that's how 24 karat pure gold, how long it, before it starts to melt. Uh, it's, an, it's almost not indestructible, but it's very strong. Uh, but in the same way that when we go through a trial, it tests whether our faith is genuine. Do we truly believe in God or do we not believe, truly believe in God? For instance, in Matthew chapter 13, Christ gives the parable of the sowers of the seed. In describing the kingdom of God, he gives four different soils where seeds are planted. One of the soils is called the stony ground in verses 20 through 21. It says, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. One of the things that happens with this faith is that the trial, maybe persecution because of some, something he believes about God or persecution just in general for being a Christian. Well, this person doesn't last when the trial comes. This person's faith was not genuine. Uh, James talks a lot, the book of James, one of the major themes is genuine faith or how true faith acts. James chapter 2 verse 19, he describes a faith that is demonic. He says, even the demons fear God and shudder. The difference is instead of just fearing God, they first they, even the demons believe in God and shudder. So they have a belief in God, uh, they fear him, and they even have a physical reaction. The word there was in the Greek refers to this physical trembling like in an earthquake. So they have a belief, um, they have a fear, and they have a physical trembling. The difference is they don't obey. It's possible to have a type of faith where we believe in God, but it doesn't lead to a righteous lifestyle proving that our faith is genuine. And one of the ways that it's often proven is what, when we go through a trial, what it does to our faith. How do we respond to God? In 1 John 2, 19, James also, or excuse me, John also describes spurious faith. 
And describing these people that had left the church of Ephesus, John is pastoring the church of Ephesus at this time, and there's a Gnostic cult attacking the deity, humanity of Christ. And he says, um, they went out of us, they went, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they were truly of us, they would have remained with us. See, for John, he believed that true faith endured. It endured false teaching, it endured persecution, it endured the uh, wealth, which can be also a very difficult trial, uh, the having wealth. And so true faith perseveres. And so one of the things that we can ask ourselves when looking, looking at ourselves when we go through trials, how do we respond? Does it draw us closer to God? Does it draw us closer to his word, closer to the people of God? Or does it pull us away from him, away from his people, away from his will for our lives? Trials help us evaluate our faith. A good example of uh, how trials prove faith is with Peter and Judas. Peter is tempted and tried and denies Christ, but he turns back to him. Judas denies Christ, but he never turns back. And Christ always said that all of you are clean except for one of you. One of you is a devil. He taught that Judas was never truly born, born again. The benefit of a trial is it proves whether our faith is true or not. Do we truly believe in God? Do we truly follow, want to follow him even when a pastor falls away or we, ha we go through some difficulty in the church? Many, they fall away and they never come back. And that would prove, uh, prove the consistency of their faith. I'm going to quickly summarize the last two because, like I said, this is a longer sermon. Here's our, our last two. Here's a, uh, the second to last. One, another secret to have joy in the midst of trials is the focus on the future glory. Verse 6 and 7. Um, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When he, one of the things he's saying here is that a faith that lasts in the midst of a trial will be rewarded eternally that God will praise you, glorify you, and honor you because of how you went through a trial. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, similarly, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before me. Um, in the same way, one of the things we have to realize that if we're going to have joy in the midst of trials, God rewards us for how we endure he rewards us for how we respond. Do we draw near him? Do we draw away from him? Do we draw near the body of Christ or do we separate from the body of Christ? One of the ways that we can have joy is realizing that those who are faithful, he says, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, people will be, it will, it will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Here's the last one. Another secret to having joy in the midst of trials is by focusing on our relationship with Christ focusing in our relationship with Christ, verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, for many of us, I think we've all, many of you have probably experienced this, sometimes one of the ways that we have joy in the midst of trials is by the relationships we have within them. Uh, for myself as uh, I, I, I finished, I'll be finishing 17 years before I get booted in January. 
Um, I did three years as in the Air Force, enlisted, and then I did uh, 14, and, 14 and a half and as a Navy reservist. Uh, but one of the things that I found about my time, especially in active duty, is that most of the people that I was around in the military didn't like it a whole lot. And we kind of all bonded about, around the fact that we didn't like it a whole lot. We often complained together, but in the midst of complaining together, we had, there was a joy that came along with it. Um, sometimes that's like that in many workplaces, that in the midst of going through something difficult in a workplace, that the people, especially if they have no choice, they get closer as they go through something terrible together. Marriages, when we go through difficulty in the marriage, it either can hurt you or it can bond you together and fortify your marriage um, and encourage you if you're going through something, going through a difficult time to persevere because many times marriages get a lot stronger when you persevere through it. Um, in the same way that that can happen in a workplace, it can happen in a marriage, this happens many times in the midst of our trials. That even though they had not seen him before, they loved him, he says, and they believed in him. And so in the midst of this trial, they could, have, they could develop a closer and more intimate relationship with Christ. We no doubt saw this with Daniel, or rather the three Hebrew, three Hebrew men in Daniel chapter 3. When they were thrown in the fire, there was a fourth in the fire with them who was like the Son of God. And in the same way, we can, go th we, can be in a, we can be going through a difficulty in our life, but as we live in the word and prayer and we seek the Lord, we develop joy because of the closeness of our relationship with God, uh, with Christ. And so if we're going through a trial, one of the things I encourage you that we should spend intimate time with him through prayer and the word. We should spend intimate time with him amongst others. When two or more are gathered, he's in the midst. Many times in the midst of church or small group, we feel an intimacy with the Lord. Um, we should obey him. We're tempted to disobey God when we're going through trials, but instead we should be obedient. obedient. John 15, 10 says, if you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Obedience, there's an, a, a remaining in the love of Christ. And certainly we can be intimate with him by having the Lord suffer as we take of his body and his bread. How can we have joy in the midst of our trials? Peter, speaking to Christians that are being persecuted throughout the Roman Empire, gives them six ways. One, Focus on the benefits of our great salvation, our new birth, our inheritance, our, in, our security. Focus on the brevity of our trials in comparison to eternity. Focus on God's sovereignty in the midst of the trials. They all have purpose. They're not on accident. Only if necessary, he allows them to happen for something better for us. We must focus on our faith. Trials come to prove the genuineness of our faith. Are they weak? Is it weak faith? Is it strong faith? Is it genuine faith? Focus on the eternal glory by how you go through your trials. Israel went through a trial in the wilderness. They went to idolatry. They, they uh, complained against God. God disciplined them. But some who go through trials, there is a greater glory that God gives them. There's a reward that he gives them. Finally, we focus on, if we're going to have joy in the midst of our trials, we must focus on our relationship with Christ. Trials deepen, just like they deepen relationships here on earth, they deepen relationships with Christ as you seek him in the midst of your trial. I put some prayer prompts up there. I want to take just a moment just to respond in prayer. I think this is a good discipline. If you're reading your Bible in the morning, you read what the Bible says, but then you pray back what God said in the word of God. It's like a conversation. And so I think responding in prayer to a message is a, is a, is a tremendous discipline, just like we do or we should do with our Bible reading. Here's some couple ways just to pray really quickly. 
Pray for God to restore the joy of our salvation. Pray that depression and discouragement would flee during these holidays with our friends, our families, with one another. Pray for God to give us an eternal perspective while going through the trials. They're temporary in comparison to what God has for us. Pray for God to increase our faith. Many people start to doubt God. Some turn away from him. Some drop out of ministry. Pray for God to increase our faith as we go through trials, that we trust in his sovereignty and good purposes. Pray for God to grant his grace to grow in intimacy with God and others through our trials so that we may gain strength. If you could pray this for yourself personally, but also pray this for the members of this church, that whatever God may be allowing people around you to go through, go through, that he would use it for their good and that it would be necessary for their spiritual growth and for them to be a blessing to others. Pray for people around us right now and we'll close in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here this morning. I know many of us have gone through various different difficulties over the last couple of years in our marriages, in our bodies, in our workplaces. I thank you, Lord, that you have preserved them. I pray that in the midst of their trials that they would develop a greater intimacy with you, that they would not fall away from you, that they would not doubt you. I pray where there has been um, injuries to their faith or to their hearts, that they would be healed by your grace. I pray, dear Father, Lord, that what the devil meant for bad for them, that you would use for good and that you use them to be a blessing to the world, to the people around them and to others. We thank you for your grace and we ask that you give each one of us your joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.